0: When we talk about, you know, uh, Republicans that are Trumpy in states that are trying to overturn elections or we talk about gerrymandering, like the action is at the state level.
1: Welcome to how we win. All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things. We don't agonize, we organize today democrats begin work on legislation to curb presidential power abuses the first lawsuit emerges over the texas abortion ban
2: and the fda is on track to approve vaccinations for five and up by october
1: then joining us for our interview is crooked media founder and pod save america host john favreau we talk about the state of alternative media the filibuster conundrum in our Swing Left and Crooked Media collab, No Off Years Fun, to defend our trifecta in Virginia.
2: All of that? Woo, that's a
1: lot. And
2: reasons for hope.
1: I'm Steve Pearson.
2: And I'm Mariah Craven. And,
1: and this, this is, is how, how We win. win. All right, Mariah, what a show we have this week. Oh gosh.
2: It's gonna be a good show. There's a lot, there's a lot going
1: on. We're gonna
2: talk about the tip of the iceberg. You have an amazing interview coming up. Everybody's super excited about, I know. Johnny um, Favreau.
1: Does anyone call him Johnny besides me? I'm going to start gonna doing say,
2: that. I was going to say, wow, <laughs> I didn't know you guys were such good friends.
1: Yeah, we're tight like that. I'm excited <laughs> for people to hear from him. I know that uh, most of our listeners probably already hear from him um, a couple of times a week because uh, you all probably subscribe to Pod Save America. But um, uh, we talked about some great things, including the uh, crazy scramble that Democrats are going through right now to fund our government before we run out of money in a little over a week and raise the debt ceiling uh, and overcome the filibuster to do Mm. everything else. So. Uh, he, All right.
2: Well, stay tuned, Podheads. It's, it's I just made that up.
1: Podheads.
2: I, I think they should use that. Stay tuned, Podheads. It's a great discussion.
1: The parking lot is where it happens for the Podheads. That's where the party <laughs> really, really gets started. Keeps going.
2: Uh, but first, I um, wanted to talk about a, a couple of news items top of mind. And then, you're calling it a, a a mea culpa. We're gonna have a we're going we have we're gonna have a my bad moment that we're gonna share Ooh. with you something we something we regret doing. Do we regret it? I don't regret it, but I don't regret it. Have done it
1: sort of, but
2: um. But first, let's talk about. Oh, we're teasing gimmick. the
1: mea culpa. We're not gonna talk about it now.
2: Oh, I want people to stick around. All right,
1: fine, fine.
2: Uh, first, we want to we want to talk. First, let's talk about the debt ceiling.
1: Um,
2: <laughs> uh, first, you have to listen to a conversation about, talk, talk about us talking about legislation.
1: Right and before the, the, you get to our yeah. our mia culpa. Well, um, there's some cool legislation. This isn't uh, a, a bad conversation to listen to because while everyone is paying attention to mm-hmm. and rightly so the uh, the fight for the reconciliation package, the fight for voting rights, um, we have some uh, a new effort the Democrats have begun to curb post Trump presidential powers. This from The New York Times. Democrats have spent months negotiating with the Biden White House to refine a broad set of proposals that amount to a point-by-point rebuke of the ways that Donald J. Trump shattered norms over the course of his presidency. The Democrats have compiled numerous bills into a package that they call the Protecting Our Democracy Act. The legislation would make it harder for presidents to offer or bestow pardons in situations that raise suspicion of corruption, refuse to respond to oversight subpoenas, spend or secretly freeze funds contrary to congressional appropriations, Hmm. and fire inspectors general or retaliate against whistleblowers, among many other changes. (laughs) The legislation's lead sponsor and friend of our podcast, Representative Adam Schiff, uh, said that he hoped it would receive a floor vote this fall.
2: This is all great. It'll be interesting to see who is going to vote against the Protecting Our Democracy Act.
1: I'm guessing all the Republicans. <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: Although
1: but, they're saying there is some support because a lot of these provisions have been supported by Republicans in the past. So. In the past.
2: Before. Before. Right. Um I think this is all great. I think that, I think we all kind of realized during the last administration that we were for so long, this country seems to have relied on the the president and people in charge going along with what was typical and what was normal. And then we got a very abnormal person in there. It was like, mm, eh. yeah. And uh, so putting up some guardrails seems like a very, uh, very smart idea.
1: Especially Absolutely. With and Representative Schiff is the guy to do it. hes I'm glad yeah. he's the one leading this charge. So apparently there's speculation that once it goes to the Senate, it will have to be passed more piecemeal and not as one total package. But um, uh, we'll see. I like any kind of legislation called Protecting Our Democracy Act because that's what we need to use our majority And our power for right now at this pivotal time is to protect our democracy. Absolutely.
2: Um, The other big news that we're talking about this week uh, shouldn't be a shocker. Like we knew this was where this was all headed when this um, awful anti-choice, anti-abortion law went into effect in Texas at the beginning of this month. Um, Over the weekend, a San Antonio gynecologist had an op-ed published in the Washington Post in which he admitted to violating that abortion ban, which makes it illegal to have an abortion after approximately six weeks, which is before most women know they're pregnant. Right. Um, in the op-ed, he explained that he did it because he didn't want the country to return to 1972 uh, before Roe v. Wade passed, when it was difficult and dangerous for many women to get an abortion. And he talks about what it was like uh, working in Texas at that time when he would see women um, go out of state or to other countries to get abortions. And they would, you know, he would try his best to save them when they came in, if it was botched and, and many women died. Mm, right. So the other piece of this terrible law that the Supreme Court <laughs> allowed to to move forward was that anybody anywhere can sue anyone who is affiliated with a woman getting an abortion uh, here in Texas. Um, and then if, they're, if they prevail in their lawsuit, they get $10,000. So uh, the gynecologist, Dr. Braid, has since he published that op-ed been sued by a felon who is currently serving uh, an at-home federal sentence in Arkansas. Oh, so interesting. he doesn't he doesn't live here in Texas. He doesn't know the doctor or the woman who got the the abortion. But he wants his $10,000. Um, but he does. He said he filed the claim not because he feels strongly about reproductive rights, um, but because he would get $10,000 if the lawsuit is successful. So uh, a great use of our justice system and everyone's time, obviously.
1: Well, uh, I mean, we we knew this was going to happen. So uh, here is the first case of this happening, probably of many. It'll be uh, yeah. We'll be watching be this closely this. because there is a um, a big question mark. Um, uh, I don't know if you saw on Rachel Maddow, there was a great breakdown about this p- particular provision and uh, the constitutionality of right. uh, of basically enabling vigilantes to uh, intervene in this. Um, so this will uh, go to court and there'll be some big question marks there. We also know that the Supreme Court has now agreed to hear mm-hmm. uh, another abortion case.
2: This is the, the Mississippi case that is is basically essentially challenging Roe versus Wade and um, they're going to hear it on December 1st, I believe, right. is, the, is the new date.
1: It's a scary time. I'm, I'm grateful for the the people who are fighting for, for women and um, and fighting for Roe versus Wade. So we'll have to stay tuned on that. I'm sure there will be some actions that we will participate in uh, as a community, as activists, to make our voices heard.
2: Yeah, um, so October 2nd, if, uh, you know, check, check the women's March website and see if there is an action near you on that date. But October 2nd is going to be um, the first of what's probably going to be many in-person rallies and,
1: and actions to, to uh, protest these things. That's right. Women's March, October 2nd. I'm excited about that.
2: Um, okay. Now let's talk about, let's talk about
1: our, my bad moment. Our, my bad moment. I love this. Okay. So um Uh, We are not alone in this, but uh, last week we talked about the pro-insurrectionist rally that was happening uh, on Saturday in D.C. And uh, for good reason. There was a lot of concern about violence. The Capitol Police put up barriers and and was worried that we would have some uh, more violent uprising like we had on January 6th. In fact, there is more press there than there were actual rally goers. There was only a couple hundred people there. And so, uh, you know, I feel kind of silly for – I don't feel silly. Well, maybe silly. I guess I do feel silly (laughs) for for, uh, amplifying it in any way. One takeaway for me, Mariah, is that um, it is very difficult as activists to get what we call earned media. And that's, you know, coverage for your cause or campaign that you get from press coming and covering it and putting it on the airwaves. That's what earned media is. And we try to get earned media when we do protests, when we, you know, march and 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 do stuff like that and have rallies. And uh, what I have found is there has been a lot of action over the last four years by uh, these dedicated resistance uh, and now persistence members uh, with hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people that get very, very little media coverage. And then, of course, you have these dangerous, conspiracy-spewing, racist, white nationalist rallies where there's just a handful of people there, and the press just converges on them. Um, I'm not saying that we shouldn't pay attention to wherever white nationalism rears its head, but um, I remember specifically being at a uh, rally – I forget which one it was – I believe it was during the first impeachment uh, of Donald Trump, the Mm -hmm. first one, because there were two impeachments, so it's hard to keep track. But for the first impeachment... uh, Was this
2: downtown L.A.? You were on top of a bus or something? Yes,
1: exactly. Downtown L.A., on top of a bus, there was, you know, at least (laughs) a thousand, probably more, a couple of thousand people there. And um, there was one guy from Infowars with a bullhorn (laughs) and... Every single camera in the place, every news person was pointed at this one disruptor. One person. He didn't even have a, a second per- He couldn't find a wingman <laughs> for his uh, you know, bullshit at that rally, right? But no one was paying attention to the speakers. The media wasn't paying attention to the speakers. They weren't paying attention to the huge crowds. They were honed in on the crazy InfoWars guy. So this is a problem, Mariah.
2: But it's not our problem. I have no regrets because, like I say, I say we keep taking to the streets, even if, <laughs> even if the if the media is not paying attention. All this stuff goes on social media anyway. Yeah. And I would rather us not be saying horrifying things and waving tiki torches around and getting less coverage in the in
1: the in the traditional media.
2: Because guess what? I'm gonna see it on Twitter anyway.
1: That's a great point, and I don't mean to say that these efforts are in vain. And just because you don't get, you know, a prime time net network spot for your rally, doesn't mean that it's not reaching lawmakers and uh, and the people aren't paying attention to it. It does. Every everything we do uh, makes a does make a difference. Um, and social media, uh, you know, is a great place to blast those out if the mainstream media is not covering it. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about this week's Hero of the Week. My heroes this week are um,
2: the the gymnasts who went to Capitol Hill and testified in the Senate hearing on mm. the FBI investigation into Larry Nassar, who abused an Assault Hill lab gymnast. Um, the, wh- the women who reported it were not... Heard or followed up with appropriately for a very long time. And uh, the horror that these women went through and then were willing to speak about it publicly yeah. so that our criminal justice system is held accountable for this um, and the people who allowed the abuse to go on for so long. Can you imagine speaking up and speaking to the FBI and no one does anything? Uh, that just must be such a nightmare. And to be willing to talk about that publicly is so brave. And in a week and a month where it feels like we're rolling back the clock on progress for women, um, this meant a lot. So those are my heroes of the week. I think it was uh, Simone Biles, Ally Reisman, Michaela Maroney, Maggie Nichols. Um, were, I believe, the, the, all the women who testified this week.
1: Incredible heroes, incredible role models, uh, brave for anyone to uh, step forward and tell their story and hold mm. people accountable, like you said, hold the FBI accountable, who uh, really did nothing with the information that they uh, gave them, almost willfully uh, inactive on that and, um, so brave for anyone to do that, but especially for people who are so much in the public eye and are so oh, looked yeah. up to, uh, like these, um, uh, American gymnasts. So, uh, they are heroes in so many ways and I'm glad you highlighted them today. So, um, we're changing up the format a little bit, a little uh, yeah, That's right. shake it up because, um, you know, we want to have a chance to. Talk about our uh, reasons for hope and maybe bring some more people into that conversation, too, and hear from you all um, what your reasons for hope are. So we're going to move our reasons for hope segment to after the interview. Uh, we hope you'll stick around for that and and hear what is giving us hope this week, and uh, and of course share share your reasons for hope with us. You know you can email us at podcast at swingleft or you know tweet at us or or wherever you want to do that, and we'll read it on the show. Um, so, but for this week, we're gonna um, do that after the interview, and right now we'll go straight to our to do list.
2: We have a couple of items on our to-do list today um, that both have to do with Virginia. That election is racing towards us. Mm -hmm. Um, The first thing is to donate to the No Off Years Fund for Virginia.
1: That's right. We're going to talk about that more with uh, John Favreau from Pod Save America. The No Off Years Fund for Virginia is a collab with Swing Left and Crooked Media. Um, we're really excited about raising money for this very, very important election. So please uh, donate what you can. Every little bit helps to that fund. Uh, bang for your buck working on these local legislatures. They really need that money, and, and, and it helps them a lot. They can do a lot with a little bit of money. So um, consider donating to that. And, of course, sign up to volunteer in Virginia, swingleft.org slash VA, or just go to the swingleft.org page and find our Virginia resources to phone bank. Uh, Last week we talked about the immediate impact team where you can phone bank from anywhere. Um, You can do that On Tuesdays every Tuesday they're doing phone banks or join a local group I just recently popped in one of my local group meetings swing left Los Feliz giving my friends a shout out there over the weekend and it renewed my sense of joy and community uh, Mm -hmm. to be in a group with people doing this work together so it's great to be able to just plug in and make calls but I encourage everyone to join a group too because it's it's really powerful the work that we can do together together.
2: Love it. I miss I miss doing the group thing. Can't wait to do that again. Yeah. So, uh while you're going to swingleft.org to sign up to do that, keep on listening. We have uh an interview that Steve did that is going to um
1: engage, educate and enlighten you. Okay. Yes, I can't wait. John Favreau is the founder of Crooked Media, host of Pod Save America, and former director of speech writing and assistant to President Obama. We really don't need to intro him, though, because if you listen to us, you probably already listened to him. John, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Steve. So, we don't get to hear a lot about your story. Um, You usually talk about other people and things that are happening. So, I, I wanna hear about your origin story, but before we do that, I wanna give you some props and this isn't necessarily a, like butter you up, you know, kind of thing. If that works, that's fine. Sure, I'll take it, whatever <laughs> it is. Um, we, uh, I, I do a lot of, or I did a lot of launching of canvases with surrogates and stuff like that. And and you and John Lovett came down to Orange County at an I remember event. that. Yeah, at an event. And this was 2018 for the primaries, not even the actual midterms, but for the primaries. And um, and what usually happens for people listening is you get a great surrogate, someone that everyone's excited to see, and they pump up the crowd and thank them for canvassing, uh, and then they split, or or we give them like a, a surrogate size stack of houses to go knock on <laughs> doors, right? You know, um, but you two went out and. Did a huge packet. We're out for hours knocking on doors, and it would just really, really impressed me that you you all had that kind of commitment. I mean, you could have done that and shot some video and used that for a package and been done with it, but you really wanted well, to that have. That would
0: have been lame. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been lame. Look, look, we wanted to be competitive about it. We we got the packet. We wanted to get through the packet. We didn't want to get a special size packet. Well, I, I think I think also it's just you know the two of us have both been on campaigns. And I mean, I started as an intern on campaigns and then a press assistant on campaigns. And when it came time to, uh, when it came close to the election and it was a couple months out and people knocked on doors, like everyone on the staff went and knocked on doors, you know, not just the, the field organizers. And right. that's sort of the tradition that I learned being on a campaign. So that'll stay with me for life.
1: Uh, well, it was awesome. It was very impressive, and um, and there is a question in there somewhere. It it leads to your origin story. Like, what mm-hmm. do you remember the first campaign that you worked on? What it was like to go knock on that first set of doors? What what propelled yeah. you into action?
0: I do remember the first. I, I worked on. I volunteered on Jean Shaheen's 2002 Senate race in New Hampshire. Okay. Uh, and the reason I did that is I had uh, the. Semester before, I was uh, uh, I was at Holy Cross College in Massachusetts, in Worcester, Massachusetts, and I interned in John Kerry's Senate office in D.C., and so I was the press assistant in the Senate, or I was the press intern in the Senate office, and I had such a great time there, and it was, it was a time where John Kerry was getting ready to announce that he was going to run for president in 2004, mm-hmm. and I really decided that I wanted to be on the Kerry campaign when I graduated, um, but for that summer... Um, Carrie's communications director hooked me up with an internship on the Shaheen campaign. And so I would drive up to Manchester. I, I lived in North Reading, Massachusetts, uh, which is just north of Boston. And I would just drive up to Manchester every day and I would intern on the Shaheen campaign. Um, and it was a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> did you take but, to knocking on doors right away? Was this something that you were nervous I about? Did, so I did take to it.
0: Partly because, so when I was in high school, one of the jobs I had, one of the high school jobs I had, I was a uh, telemarketer oh. for newspapers all over New England.
1: That was you. But, yeah, yeah, right. I wasn't in New England, but. <laughs>
0: well, well, so like just the level of rejection you get when you are trying to sell people newspapers um, is, it's is such a high level that it does once, you, once you go through that for a couple summers, it's like if someone's going to slam the door on you when you're knocking on the door uh, canvassing, it's not a big deal. Yeah,
1: nice. Well, I want to talk about your podcast's evolution, too, and what Crooked Media has done. Um, You launched a podcast uh, right when political podcasts were first becoming big deals with um, keeping at 1600, which – and this is a rough timeline that you can correct for me, but that – Eventually became Pod Save America, which gave birth to Crooked Media. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure it's safe to say that you exceeded your expectations. But what were your goals when you first started with that podcast?
0: Yeah, I mean, originally, uh, John and 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 Tommy and Dan and I thought that the podcast, the Keep It at 1600 podcast, was going to be like a hobby because we assumed. Wrongly, that Hillary Clinton would win in 2016, Mm. and uh, we all had other jobs at the time. And uh, the only reason that we ended up doing a podcast is we sort of fell into it because uh, Bill Simmons, who runs The Ringer, um, they were branching from sports into they wanted to have some politics content, and they said, Oh, would you he said, would you guys be in? I just moved to LA said, oh, would you guys be interested in doing a podcast about the election, covering the 2016 election? And I, except for Bill's podcast, I really hadn't listened to a lot of podcasts at that point. (laughs) Um, But uh, Dan and I said, sure, we both started doing it. And then John and Tommy jumped in. and, um, And then once Trump won, you know, John and Tommy and I had had discussions prior to 2016, when we left the White House about, wouldn't it be cool to Start a progressive media company Mm. um, because we don't have enough of them or the ones that have been out there, you know, weren't really that effective or, you know, you have someplace like MSNBC that has a lot of, you know, fantastic sort of progressive hosts. But they still don't sort of urge people to get involved and take action about the news that they're seeing every day. And so you see a lot of bad news and you're not exactly sure what to do about it. And we thought if we had a progressive media company that sort of mixed media with political activism, that would be something new and also something needed. Uh, And then once Trump won, we're like, well, now it's needed more than ever. And since we already had this podcast, we thought, well, let's, you know, the, the progressive media company we would have built, in 2013, 2014, might not have been a podcast company, but since now we all had experience with podcasts. And we also realized that the format of a podcast was sort of the antithesis of what you get on cable news, right? Which is all sound bites on cable news. And right. then you cut to a commercial and there's a bunch of people yelling in boxes. And, you know, it doesn't really work out that well. And on a podcast, you just, you know, it's a longer format and you can have a more interesting, nuanced, substantive conversation. And we didn't wanna have a bunch of like screaming, talking heads and so that just worked for us. So we, we uh, started Pod Save America and we started Crooked Media and our, our goal from the beginning was to broaden both the number and types of podcasts that we did to have a diverse range of voices on all these different podcasts cover a diverse range of issues, um, you know, related to news and politics, and of course now we're beyond that too. So um, yeah, it's it, it it has turned into something much bigger than I think any of us thought when we started it. But we're um, we're really proud of it and really
1: happy about it. It's it's great. You've you've done amazing work, and and I love what you're saying about the longer format because that's something that really resonated with me when we started, um, this, uh, humble little swing left podcast. It's now, uh, This will be a hundred and second episode right here. So um, thanks. Yeah, we made it past a hundred, (laughs) um, but, but, you know, coming from an organizer perspective, I know the power of personal stories and, um, and we get like you did at the doors, like a quick shot to kind of share something personal with someone at the door to connect with them. And, um, you know, candidates have their talking points that get, you know, spit out on media in very short form There's not a lot of opportunity to really be inspired. And driven into action by people's like full personal story. So that's what I've I've loved about this format. Um, yeah. And you mentioned uh, you're expanding your media offerings now. You're you're going into video as well. You've launched Crooked History. Can yeah. you talk about that show and what the goal is, what that's about?
0: Yeah, a member of our, our video team, uh, Yale Freed actually did you know p- pitched this this series on um, on different moments in history. And sort of we have crooked hosts talking about how we got there. So we talked about sort of like the politics around 9-11 that Ben Rhodes hosted, Aaron Ryan uh, just recently hosted one about sort of Nixon and um, sort of the culture wars and how Nixon sort of started the culture wars. And so we're going to have just go through sort of different moments in history like that and have different crooked hosts and uh, friends of crooked media um, sort of narrate these these moments in history and how they led to the sort of the politics that we have today
1: so cool. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to I want to talk more about the progressive media space um because as you said, uh crooked media has done an amazing job building uh, a larger presence in the progressive media space. And other other uh networks have as well, other shows have as well, but um despite that, uh the alternative media space is really dominated by right-wing conservative conspiracy spewing non-truthy voices, right? Yeah. And with streaming platforms, it becomes a self-propagating thing too because the algorithm just feeds you more of that. So how, I, I'm sure you've thought a lot about this. How do we fight against this?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that more competition from more progressive media companies is, is the only way, um, or at least is the most effective way because, you know, you can try to, uh, look, there's a lot of good campaigns out there to sort of uh, fight against, you know, Fox News. There's like, uh, you know, trying to, get it off cable channels and stuff like that I think all that is it's it's sort of an uphill battle right Um, especially trying to get any of these fucking platforms to do anything about uh, whether it's YouTube or Facebook or you know that the the right-wing disinformation is flowing out there and obviously there's there's you know potential policy solutions to all that which I'm very much in favor of but I think flooding the zone with more progressive media is probably the most important thing we can do i always say like i would love a lot more competitors to crooked media out there it would be wonderful um whether it's video whether it's podcast whatever it is um because i do think at the end of the day being able to go out there and make the argument make a better argument and have it make sure that And and make sure that that argument reaches more people and more hard to reach places is going to be the most effective way that we can sort of build the progressive movement even larger than it is today. Because, you know, they're not going to get these messages from uh, the mainstream media. And like you said, uh, the rest of the the Internet and the media is just flooded with a lot of disinformation and other garbage these days, which is uh, which is pretty tough. But we can't just like we can't just like, you know, seed the playing field. these
1: People. No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, more content is, I think, the immediate solution to that. And um, and I also, uh, I think you'd probably agree with me, don't think that for the, you know, indoctrinated cult members who have already consumed all of these lies, there's not a lot to say to them but um there is something to say to the people who are discovering that for the first time the younger people who are are just getting into that kind of content right yeah i think that's what a lot
0: of it's its easy to get wrong to think that um there aren't a lot of persuadable uh people out there right and obviously as an organizer you know that that couldn't be further from the truth <laughs> of course like most of the electorate is not that engaged not intensely partisan and the more t- you talk to people, the more you realize that. I mean, one example of sort of why, you know, the right is so much better at this, uh, I was talking to um, Stephanie Valencia on, on Pod of America, and uh, she runs Equis Research, uh, which does polling among Latino communities and sort of organizing in, that, in those communities as well. And she was telling me this anecdote that at the end of the uh, 2020 presidential, I think progressive groups, liberal. Donors, progressive donors, rich donors, poured like $14 million into South Florida to buy a bunch of ads, uh, television ads. And like right. the last week of the race, it didn't do much, it doesn't do much when you pour that much money in at the last week of the race to buy a bunch of ads. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, like a year earlier, or years earlier, uh, you know, a bunch of conservative right wing groups bought a radio station, a very popular radio station in South Florida for $350,000 and wow. have converted it into much more of a conservative talk radio station. And that had a huge impact on, especially since like you know, one of the hosts had been a uh, an Obama voter, who said he converted to becoming a Trump voter, and that convinced a lot of people in South Florida, especially a lot of Cubans, especially a lot of Latinos, um, to vote for Trump. And these things have a big effect, you know. And we don't have that kind of thinking on our side that when there's like a a, a rich donor on on the left, they're like, oh, let's pour it into television ads. Whereas the right is thinking, all right, wh- where can we get the most bang for our buck and actually start buying up media properties uh, mm. to get our message out?
1: Yeah, I think we're way too reactive all the time, and we're never really looking ahead and playing the long game um, like we should be in, in right. all areas of politics, frankly. But for sure, certainly in media, and uh, you know, you can't. W- but think of uh, the Lincoln Project. And all, yeah. <laughs> all the money they spent making great videos that uh, all of us progressives really loved to watch, but changed exactly zero minds about the election. Yeah, RTs don't get votes, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's talk a little bit about our government right now, if you don't sure. mind. I want to get your take on some stuff because both houses of Congress are now in session and they are busy. Um, Dems are working on the reconciliation package for Biden's Build Back Better plan uh, while we have a little over a week before government shutdown and we run out of money and need to raise the debt ceiling. The Senate parliamentarian, if I said that right, that's a tongue mm-hmm. twister, has put the kibosh on including a pathway to citizenship for immigrants in, in the reconciliation. Dems are also trying to pass a new compromised version of voting rights legislation. Um, you've been vocal about this, but it seems like none of this actually happens without a reform of the filibuster um (laughs) biden has reportedly said to pelosi and schumer that he's ready to put pressure on democrats to reform the filibuster and pass that voting rights legislation but do democrats have the political will to actually get that done i I was listening to um daily punch um this morning and uh, they were very mean about uh the filibuster and the chances of reforming that um i didn't appreciate their words what do you have to say (laughs)
0: <laughs> all, I, I I hate saying this but all roads lead back to Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema right yeah. whether it's reforming the pil- the filibuster whether it's sustaining um an a, someone overruling the parliamentarian right like no matter no matter what you figure out what what strategy you figure out to get around a lot of these arcane ridiculous rules and procedures in the Senate yeah. it all comes back to even if Democrats don't need 60 votes, they still need 50 votes in the Senate to pass anything, right. and which means they need every single Democrat in the Senate on board, which means they need Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. And, you know, I, I read that report about Biden getting ready to pressure, um, telling Schumer and Pelosi he's getting ready to pressure uh, Democratic senators on, on filibuster reform. This is all about whether anyone, Joe Biden, us other democratic senators can convince joe manchin and Kirsten sinema to change their mind either on the filibuster or now even on this reconciliation bill which only needs 50 votes and they're both being assholes about that too Kirsten sinema saying that like she doesn't like the fact that they're trying to lower drug prices and let medicare negotiate with pharmaceutical companies so that prescriptions are more affordable that they think it's too expensive that they you know joe manchin might want to punt on reconciliation till 2022 whatever bullshit is in the headlines any given day um this is about everyone trying to get together and and figure out how to convince these two that it is incredibly important to pass not just this infrastructure bill but also this economic plan that would you know transform people's lives whether it's healthcare, climate education housing immigration you name it yeah
1: um Two follow-up questions to that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, one, do you think it's just them? Do you think it's, uh, I mean, it's it's probably easy for some more moderate dims to hide behind how vocal they are, but are there some other dims that we need to worry about?
0: I think it's absolutely not just them. I think there's. I think it's exactly what you said. There's there's moderates hiding behind them, but I think the fact that they're hiding behind them and not vocal means that they are more persuadable than Manchin and Cinema Manchin, I mean, like, you could get all those all the moderates who are hiding behind them on board and you'd still have the mansion and cinema problem. Right. So it's like, no matter, no matter what other problems you fix, and there are plenty of other problems to fix. You still have these two senators who get a vote at the end of the day and who aren't up until 2024 in 2024, Joe Manchin is going to be 74. Will he even run again? You know, is primarying him worth it? Can, someone else can another democrat win in west virginia who's not joe manchin? I don't know, it's hard to see. Kirsten Sinema I think is another situation. I look um you can be a moderate and win in Arizona and still not be as big of an asshole as Kristen, Kirsten <laughs> Sinema is on the filibuster or prescription drugs or anything else. Mark Kelly is a moderate. He yeah. won in Arizona. He's not pulling this shit on the filibuster. He's not pulling this shit on the reconciliation bill or prescription drug reform. So, I don't necessarily understand why Kirsten Cinema thinks that she is sort of, um, she can just do this without any cost because I do think that you could see a primary challenge being mounted to her in 2024. Not even necessarily from the left, just someone who is willing to make the Senate work, uh, unlike unlike she would. So, but again, like I said, the 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 tough truth here is that it all comes back to those two and and trying to change their minds.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I know that um, Cinema is not uh, particularly popular among her Arizona Dems, too. Her colleagues before she was uh, elected um, were not uh, super... Bullish I've on heard her. that, too. Yeah, yeah. i heard that as well. Yeah. She had a reputation for not being particularly well-liked, but, you know, um, it's all hearsay. It's a podcast. Uh, I'm, you know, I don't have as many <laughs> listeners as you are, do, so I can say whatever I want.
0: We get any rumors <laughs> are fine here. That's fine. We don't have to be substantiated at all. Too. Right.
1: There we go. Yeah, I can always apologize later. Um, <laughs> my second part to the question, though, was uh, in terms of our volunteers and our listeners, uh, what do you think is the best uh, use of their energy around the filibuster right now?
0: I think that the Senate and the in the House are going to sort out this sort of budget mess right now and I think that the um voting rights is going to come to the floor probably a little bit later once we get past we I mean we talked about the the budget bill and the infrastructure bill but they also have a debt ceiling they have to right. get you know they have to figure like, out the debt ceiling which is a like pretty important thing to figure days. out yeah yeah because you don't want like a global economic collapse which is what happens if we breach the debt ceiling uh, the government could shut down in in i think 10 or so days so we've got to figure that out once all that is passed us then i think you you will see them move on to voting rights legislation look, we now have a compromise bill that Joe Manchin himself worked out. Mm -hmm. So I know Joe Manchin is like out on his never ending quest to get 10 Republicans on board uh, to pass the voting rights bill. I do not think he will be successful. I think everyone knows he won't be successful except for maybe Joe Manchin. So the question is, what happens when Joe Manchin is not successful getting 10 Republicans? And then I think you have I think when when that comes to the floor, when we know this is happening, I think that's when pressure on Congress, pressure on Joe Manchin, pressure on Kirsten Cinema and others to, whether it's reform the filibuster for good or reform the filibuster only for voting rights, is going to be really important. Um, can I promise that more pressure will get it done? No, of course not. But I think uh, I heard a promise.
1: As- I heard a promise
0: in there. Yeah, all right. I heard was we I all, promise. I can edit might- that, too. You can edit it out. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, John Favreau promised uh, we can all you know, we, we should all go down fighting. That that goes for us. That goes for for Joe Biden. That goes for everyone else. Um, and I do think that's probably the uh, the best strategy in the short term.
1: Well, great. Well, um, so in the meantime, before we start pressuring them on a the filibuster, we've got some work to do on Virginia. Mm-hmm. And um, Crooked uh, has been an incredible partner with Swing Left. And I, I know uh, for sure, uh, since I've, I'm kind of an OG Swing Left guy, started volunteering when it first yeah, that's launched. Right. And um, it, Swing Left would not have had the reach that it, it has if it wasn't for its partnership and the amplification that you all gave it early on. So I, I am very uh, grateful to all the work that you've done in the partnership with Swing Left. Um, you're doing it again now with our uh, No Off Years Fund collaboration for Virginia. Can you talk about that uh, that fund and the stakes for Virginia right now, and why everyone should donate and volunteer in Virginia?
0: Absolutely. And, and let me just say, you guys have been a fantastic partner as well. And you know, one of the most common questions we get, whether it's from people online or it shows that we used to do back in the, in the old times, uh, is "How can I help? What can I do? Where can I give?" And it has been wonderful to have a partner in Swing Left where we can direct people to. Um, In Virginia, obviously, there's a gubernatorial race. People probably have noticed that in the news. Uh, That's going to be very tight. That is very competitive. It's probably the most important off-year election uh, left this year. Mm -hmm. It's going to be certainly the most competitive. uh, But there's also down-ballot races in Virginia. There's um, state legislative seats that uh, we both need to defend and hopefully flip. And we have a fund with you guys where I believe we were trying to raise two hundred thousand dollars for um, a lot of these down ballot races which I think we might have hit sound, that late. sounds
1: very doable that doesn't even sound that ambitious
0: we might be we might be yeah uh, well th- this is the but this is the point as you know with a lot of these down ballot races is we focus so much on the big ticket races governor Senate presidential of course but a lot of these state legislative races are fairly af- cheap relatively speaking to a lot of other races and you can get a lot more bang for your buck and yet they go you know unnoticed they don't get a lot of attention and but when we talk about you know Republicans that are Trumpy in states that are trying to overturn elections, or we talk about gerrymandering, like the action is at the state level. Mm -hmm. And Republicans for decades have understood that and they have focused on that and they have put a lot of resources and a lot of time into flipping state legislatures. And we have not done that as much. And so, you know, we all think it's really important that we both defend the. Defend the democratic majorities that we have in Virginia, and also make sure that Terry McAuliffe wins. and And I think, you know, you look at all of these polls, and I think one of the reason it's, uh, it's reasons that it's so close right now is when you ask people um, who are definitely voting if they're going to vote for McAuliffe or Yunkin, Glenn Yunkin, mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty tight. Uh, I think the Washington Post poll that came out over the weekend, if you ask people who are maybe going to vote or 50-50 on, gonna, uh, on voting, uh, Terry McAuliffe has an 18-point lead. So mm. much like the California recall, I think this is about waking up Democrats, Democratic-leaning independents, people who aren't always closely paying attention to politics, a lot of young people, and making sure, you know, early voting has begun in Virginia, began on Friday, making sure that people get out to vote and not just vote, but donate and organize and volunteer. Uh, and you can go to crooked.com uh, slash years. Um, to help both with uh, Virginia and and the races there in the, in the short term, and then we're doing some long term voter registration work in uh, some of the swing states that'll
1: that'll matter a lot in 2022 and beyond. It's fantastic. Yeah, down ballot is where it's at. Yeah, you know, I, I was going to use your phrase "bang for the buck" because it's it's really true. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, so uh, what was the, the website again? We'll put it on in our sure. show notes too.
0: It's uh, crooked. slash no
1: off years. Yeah, great. So everyone, please donate a little bit. Donate some of your time. Um, and it's opposite land in Virginia compared to what we're seeing in Texas and Georgia. They're they're literally doing the opposite. They're um, making it easier, easier for people to vote. They're closing gun loopholes. They're um, e- expanding access to uh, women's health care choices and uh, all the things that are important to us. So, um, And we also talk about it so much as a bellwether for, you know— elections. It is, but I've looked at Virginia the last few cycles as a bellwether for where our volunteer engagement is, Hmm. um, and, and seeing the kind of engagement that people are having in there. Um, and it really gives me hope when I see like volunteers that aren't tired, that, you know, have been doing this, that still are stepping up and making an impact in Virginia, then I I feel better about the, um, you know, the foot soldiers we have going into the midterms. So. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, okay, so one last question. We ask this to all of all of the people we have on here, and this is show 102 now. So, sure, um, John, what gives you the most hope for our future?
0: Every, I mean, literally, I know this is, sounds like I'm I'm pandering to you because you're an organizer, but um, I did butter you up at the beginning too.
1: Well, I was gonna say, <laughs>
0: like every single time I am, and for the last two years, it's been on a Zoom, uh, on a Zoom with organizers and volunteers. And, you know, you, I spend a lot of time, way too much time reading political news every day and way too much time on Twitter, and it is often depressing, and the tone is as cynical as it gets, Mm. and it can get you in a really bad headspace. And the times when I am speaking to volunteers, especially younger volunteers, uh, kids out of college, high school kids even, and I hear them talk about politics and I hear them talk about organizing, and, they read the news too. They know what's going on and they just, they're still hopeful and they still want to fight and they still want to organize. And when I see that, I think, okay, maybe we'll be okay. Maybe we'll be okay. Yeah.
1: It's because they're so young, but I appreciate the cinema. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. Um, so uh, Beto, going to be the next governor of Texas? What do you think? Man, I hope so. Greg <laughs>
0: Abbott is the fucking worst. That is, I, I mean, he's really just trying to do everything wrong in that state possible and everything bad that he can possibly do. Um, you know, I, I I love Beto. I've always, uh, I've always loved Beto, and um, it's I have to give him a lot of credit because what a tough year to to run for governor of Texas. Oh my God, He's gonna yeah. run like. In 2022, you know when uh, Democrats, the party in power, usually lose seats in the midterms. You know all kinds of political winds blowing against them, and you got to give the guy credit for uh, for trying. So let's hope he uh, hope he can pull it off.
1: Yeah. Well. R.I.P. McConaughey. I just feel bad for that guy. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: he's got other options. Uh,
1: John, thanks so much for doing this. This was really great talking to you. Thanks for having me, Steve. Appreciate it.
2: Great job on that interview. I feel motivated. I'm ready. I'm ready to to donate to No Off Years.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's that's uh, what we want everyone to do. And of course, John was so great. Always, um, you know, we love his show. We're big fans of Crooked Media in mm-hmm. general. And you know, Vote Save America and Shaniqua um, McClendon,
2: who is oh, our yeah. friend
1: and just a force behind the, the great political work they're doing there. So. Let's talk about our reasons for hope.
2: Awesome. My reason for hope this week is, um, you know, I'm a, a TV addict, and um, Michaela Coel got in a writing Emmy this weekend. I could not watch the Emmy awards, unfortunately. I was doing bedtime and mom stuff. Of things. My, I was doing mom stuff. Um, so it'll be a minute before I get to watch things in real time again. I think, but. Um, Uh, This show that she won an Emmy for, I May Destroy You, it is amazing. There is so much content out there. And when you have something that is really special and unique and diverse and makes you feel something, I think that should be honored. She was snubbed earlier this year. um, So this is well-deserved. And she had listened to her acceptance speech you know, it's aimed at, at writers. I'm a writer. And so I felt it, but it, mm-hmm. I would feel it if I wasn't. So congratulations to her. Uh, and I'm so appreciative that she made such a powerful, beautiful show that made me feel seen and heard.
1: That's a great reason for hope. And um, I did watch the Emmys. I was inspired by a lot of the shows and people who are recognized on there. I thought yeah. overall, though, the broadcast was kind of meh. So, yeah. um, you know, it's still it's still weird. The the hybrid like, you yeah. know, coronavirus restrictions and stuff like that. It's you know, but um,
2: are you a Ted Lasso super fan?
1: Oh, boy. I guess I guess we can go down that thing. I think I it's, feel
2: like you fall. People who have seen it fall into two categories. It was fine,
1: and oh my god, Ted, I can't I
2: can't live until the next episode comes
1: out. I think Ted Lasso. I I know that uh, that they've arrived at a moment. When people really needed uh, mm-hmm. something uplifting, something Absolutely. hopeful, and and they really have delivered on that. And um, I'm grateful for that. And they talk about mental health, and, um, and that's the, uh, something that they're exploring more this season, which we all need to be talking about all the time because we are at a mental health crisis in our country right now. Um, so I'm grateful for all that. And I do like the show and I just saw the most recent episode, which was actually really great. So I'm a fan of it, but I'm not, I'm not like the, this is the greatest show ever, um, kind of thing. But to me, Breaking Bad remains the greatest show in the history of television. So.
2: Oh, very interesting. There's
1: my, my thing.
2: Um, okay. (laughs) So tell us, so I I love all that information.
1: We digress. Um, Now
2: now I want to hear about your reasons for hope.
1: (laughs) My reason for hope is um, that the FDA is on track to approve vaccinations for five year olds and up by October. And um, I want to encourage people if you uh, missed our interview with Dr. Rhea Boyd from Mm -hmm. a few weeks back, you know, it was great. It was great. She was great, and it's still really relevant. Um, I think it's important that as we move forward in our lives, we look at what this new normal is going to look like and not expect to go back to where things were pre-coronavirus, right? Right. Um, Masks are going to be a normal part of our lives for a long time. You know, some kind of social distancing, better air systems, but certainly for people who have younger kids, it's been very, very difficult for them. I have a lot of friends who have younger kids. You, of course, have a one-year-old who is not eligible for a vaccine just yet. Mm -hmm. But um, this is going to, uh, you know, reduce a lot of consternation and worry for families who don't know quite what to do when they're not able to vaccinate their younger kids. And so I'm, that, that brings me some hope that as we move into the new normal, more people are able to um, resume something, you know, something like what they were doing before in their lives. So it's a um. lukewarm reason for hope because we're still in, in, in a tough spot with this, but it's, it's progress.
2: No, it's a beautiful reason for hope. It's, it's scary to have a a little one out here um, right now. So very hopeful that uh, that children, small children will get protected soon and, and get to enjoy a little bit more of the world. Exactly. for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved and stay
1: engaged. What is motivating you to take action right now? What's your reason for hope? We want to hear from you and we'll share it on our show. Send us an email at podcast at swingleft.org or tweet to us at bluesboysteve and at Mariah underscore Craven.
2: And hey, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple or wherever you get your pods. And share us on social media. Check out our page at spinwest.org slash podcast. And you can sign up to volunteer
1: while you're there. How We Win is a proud member of the MSW Media Network. Check out the other great podcasts there at mswmedia.com.
2: We appreciate you being here with us, and we'll be back with more next Wednesday.